I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. Welcome to the first episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. The Two Fairies is what I've titled this. So without further ado. If you spend any time at all in Bakersfield, you've probably passed by this location numerous times and never realized one of Bakersfield's most notorious murders happened here on 24th Street between Chester Avenue and I Street, one of Bakersfield's heaviest traveled arteries through downtown. The address was 1520 24th Street. The dilapidated home with a front porch has long been demolished. It sat on the north side of 24th Street. Through the decades, the parcel of land where the home once stood has been used mostly as a used car lot. Today, this portion of 24th Street is all commercial. Back in 1926, it was mostly residential. After you learn about what happened here almost a 100 years ago, you won't be able to pass by this stretch of 24th Street without this story haunting you. It truly is an odd and sad story. Calvin Coolidge was president. Al Capone's crimes were making headlines across the country. But what happened right here in Bakersfield in 1926 nudged Al Capone from the headlines and captured the attention of the state of California and beyond. In 1923 in Bakersfield, a woman with a peculiar first name married a man with an even more peculiar first name. 32-year-old Ferry, F-A-I-R-Y, Montoya, married 28-year-old Odd, O-D-D, Cornell. This is what I've been able to find out about Ferry's history. She was born in 1892 in Oklahoma. She was a triplet, but one of the triplets died at birth. Her parents were David and Louisa Lowry, and her parents went on and had a younger daughter. At some point before 1908, Ferry's family moved to Kern County. When she met and married Odd Cornell in 1923, she'd been married twice and was widowed at least once and had three daughters. Odd Granville Cornell, whose legal name was Herbert Lee Cornell, had a checkered past, or so he claimed. I've discovered multiple occasions where Odd out and out lied about his history or his behavior, so I'm skeptical about anything Odd claims. I'll expand on this later. But according to Odd, he was born in Pennsylvania in 1896. He moved to Colorado in 1901. That would have made him about four or five years old. Um, soon after moving there, his mother abandoned him, and he was taken into protective custody, where he remained for 12 years. I'm not sure what is meant by protective custody. I guess present day it would be foster care, I suppose. I'm not real sure. So from about four or five years old, he was in protective custody until he was about 16 or 17. He claims he joined the military, and after he was 
out of the military, he traveled from town to town participating in boxing matches. And that's how he landed in Kern County. He worked as a truck driver and laborer in the oil fields around Taft and Bakersfield. After Odd and Ferry married, uh, they added two sons to their blended family. It seems from contemporaneous reporting from that era that Odd and Ferry didn't seem to have an ideal relationship. I know this because their squabbles became criminal complaints and eventually became worthy news to be printed in the Bakersfield newspapers of the day. According to Odd, remember he's not the most reliable source for information. The marriage had deteriorated to the point where he was no longer living with the family. Then, on October 11, 1926, Ferry went to the district attorney's office to swear a complaint against Odd for statutory offenses against her 14-year-old daughter, who was also named Ferry. Yes, if your mind went there, you're probably correct. Molestation, rape, sexual crimes just weren't mentioned in family-read newspapers of that era, or general language was used to help sanitize the truth. The assistant DA at the time later testified that Ferry told him that she feared for her life because of filing this complaint against Odd. Evidently, Ferry was so fearful of her husband that on October 16th, she took her children and spent the night at a hotel. As a result of Ferry's complaint against her husband, a warrant was issued for Odd's arrest. This is the part of the story that gets fuzzy, and it's not entirely clear what the truth is. There's two different versions of what happened next. I'll give you both versions. Um, so, version one, Kern County Undersheriff Rankin went to arrest Odd. A gun battle ensued, and Odd escaped under a hell of bullets. Version number two, Undersheriff Rankin went to arrest Odd at his work. When they got to Bakersfield, Odd asked Rankin if he could go home and change out of his work clothes and Rankin allowed him to do so. Two very different versions, with both versions being printed in the newspapers days apart, and I can't find any retractions or corrections. So who knows what the true or most accurate version is. No matter what happened, what we do know is that late on the night of October 17th, Odd somehow was able to get away from the Kern County Undersheriff and make his way to his family's home at 1520 24th Street. He crept onto the home's front porch, unhooked the hook to the screen door, and quietly walked in and retrieved a revolver from a dresser drawer. His wife and 14-year-old stepdaughter were sleeping on a mattress on the living room floor. Odd started shooting. Three bullets hit his wife. Two hit his stepdaughter. Then he turned the gun on himself and fired the last bullet into his chest. Ferry's younger daughter, eight-year-old Laura Lee, fled across the street to a neighbor's house to summon help. When police arrived, they discovered a horrific scene. Ferry was laying on the mattress. Her daughter was on the floor. Both were dead. Odd, on the other hand, was gravely wounded but still alive. He was sitting on the edge of the mattress, cradling his two-month-old infant son. The murder weapon was on the floor at his feet. Nobody else was injured. 
Odd was rushed to Kern General Hospital's new location in East Bakersfield on Flower Street. His doctors didn't expect him to live through the night. Even though the self-inflicted bullet had missed his heart, doctors discovered it lodged in his left lung. Nobody expected Odd to live, including Odd himself. And because of this, Odd requested and was granted the opportunity to be interviewed by Jim Day, a reporter for the Bakersfield Californian. During this interview, Odd made a deathbed confession to the double murder. Soon after the interview, to everyone's surprise, including Odd himself, his condition rapidly improved. So much so that two days after shooting himself in the chest, he was discharged from the hospital and was taken to the Kern County Jail. The double murderer was able to walk into the jail without any assistance. There's also another heartbreaking element to this story that needs to be included here. On October 16th, the day before Ferry was murdered, her mother, Louisa Lowry, passed away in Alhambra, California. Now, I don't know if Ferry was aware of this prior to her own death, but it's just a, it's such a sad element to you know, think that her dad had to go through this, not just for his, his, his wife, but now his, his uh, daughter and granddaughter. We'll be right back after this. The Notorious Bakersfield podcast covers some serious topics. This episode is no exception. It's about domestic violence. If you're in a domestic violent or abusive relationship, there's help available at Kern's Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault. Their website is kernalliance.org. They can be reached at telephone number 1-800-273-7713. Once again, that's 1-800-273-7713. And they have a local hotline number at 661-327-1091. That's uh, their 24-hour hotline number is 661-327-1091. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline number is... 1-800-799-SAFE. After two months of being held in the Kern County Jail waiting for his day in court, Odd attempted suicide a second time, this time by drinking cleaning solvent his cellmate had. Doctors pumped his stomach, and his life was saved once again. And the wills of justice moved a little quicker in the 1920s than they do today. Less than four months after the murders, Odd Granville Cornell's criminal trial was taking shape. Kern County Superior Court Judge R.B. Lambert presided over the trial. Working against the defense was the fact that Odd had already confessed to his crimes during the newspaper interview. In pretrial arguments, his two defense attorneys presented a spirited argument contending the jury shouldn't be allowed to consider Odd's deathbed confession as evidence. They lost that argument. Judge Lambert ruled that the prosecution could present that confession as evidence to the jury. And that set a legal precedent in the state of California. This was the first time in California history where an accused murderer's deathbed confession was used to help argue the defendant's guilt. Medical experts testified during the trial that 
Odd suffered from untreated syphilis and his brain was affected. Experts for both the prosecution and defense testified that Odd was insane. Despite this testimony, a Kern County jury found him guilty of both murders. And a few days after that verdict was reached, on February 9, 1927, Judge Lambert sentenced Odd to death by hanging. Everything indicated that Odd was going to pay the ultimate price for his crimes. But his legal team continued to fight for the convicted murderer. They fought it all the way to the California Supreme Court. There, the state's highest court upheld the jury's decision and also the judge's sentence. But a few months later, Odd's lawyers were able to get him declared insane. This declaration spared him his life, and he was sent to a state mental institution. However, this was short-lived. The double murderer, who was once declared insane, was determined to have regained his sanity, and the governor at that time reinstated Odd's death warrant. It went back and forth until, like, eh, 1966, when Governor Edmund Brown lifted the double murderer's no-parole restriction. For the next decade at San Quentin, Odd behaved himself for the most part. There's one exception to this good behavior. In 1967, he simply refused to do any work. A prison authority noted in the inmate's record, quote, he's beyond 70 years old and has apparently retired, unquote. In the mid-1970s, Odd made headlines across the country again, but for an entirely different reason. While he languished in prison all those decades, he became the oldest prisoner at San Quentin, where his fellow prisoners affectionately referred to him as Old Con. Due to his advanced age and the fact that the no-parole stipulation had been lifted, the San Quentin Parole Board decided to give Old Con some freedom. But Odd didn't want to leave his familiar surroundings. He had his daily routines and was comfortable and well-fed, and he didn't mind telling newspaper and wire reporters just that. Newspapers across the country ran stories about how San Quentin's oldest inmate didn't want to leave. But against his wishes, he was paroled twice and reincarcer reincarcerated both times for parole violations. In 1977, Odd was paroled for what proved to be the final time. He was paroled to a board and care facility in Exeter, a small town in Tulare County north of Bakersfield. But he couldn't abide by that facility's strict no-smoking policy, and the parole board was forced to, again, find Odd somewhere else to live. They soon found a small apartment in East Bakersfield in October 1977, almost 51 years after he killed his wife and stepdaughter. He was back in Bakersfield. Odd Cornell died on July 9, 1979 in Kern County at the age of 83. 53 years after murdering his wife and stepdaughter. Earlier, I noted that Odd was less than truthful in recounting his history and crimes. I want to give you an explanation of why I don't give his version of events much weight. After years of being incarcerated in San Quentin, he justified to a reporter that he killed his wife because she wasn't faithful. He said on the night of the murder that, as he walked through the front door, two men were running out the back door. There's zero validity to this claim. 
um, testimony from the children old enough to witness the murders say that Fairy Cornell and her daughter, Fairy Gerace, were laying together on the mattress in the living room. None of them testified to any visitors the mother of five had that night. It's just preposterous and as victim blaming as classic victim blaming. So yeah. And, and, and I've discovered several other occasions where odd embellished the truth to attempt to rehabilitate his reputation, but I won't get into them here. They're just too outlandish to repeat and have no validity whatsoever. I want to note here that I make every effort to humanize, to remember, to highlight as much as possible about the victims of the crimes I cover on Notorious Bakersfield. In this case, the crimes took place in 1926. There's just not a lot of publicly available information about the victims. There is, on the other hand, a lot of information out there about their killer because he lived a long life. And I have a lot of questions about these victims, Fairy Cornell and her daughter, Fairy Gerace, about them and the relatives who survived them. Let's never forget that this was an awful tragedy in Bakersfield. This was, you know, a mother and a daughter. Um, When Fairy was murdered, she left behind four children. The oldest was eight and the youngest was just two months old. It's not unreasonable to assume that there are probably descendants of Fairy um, that still are living, perhaps still living in or around or still have a connection to Bakersfield. If you are or know someone who is, please contact me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. That's NotoriousBakersfield is one word. I'd love to talk to you. Fairy Cornell and Fairy Gerace were laid to rest side by side at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Thank you for listening to this episode of Notorious Bakersfield. Um, You can visit our Facebook page, Instagram, or Twitter to see pictures related to this case. Resources used for researching this case were the Bakersfield Californian, the Bakersfield Morning Echo, the Associated Press, United Press International, the Fresno Democrat, uh, the Los Angeles Times, the San Francisco Examiner, the Daily Independent Journal, Ancestry.com, findagrave.com and Kern County of Old Facebook page. And once again, thank you for listening to Notorious Bakersfield. New episodes will be released twice a month, the first and third Tuesday of each month. If you want to be notified each time a Notorious Bakersfield podcast is released, subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app. So tune in two weeks from today and you'll hear another Notorious Bakersfield story.